So what are you? An ape, a pig, or both? We ask this rhetorically because this point becomes better illuminated on today's podcast. Hey, Mark Lee Shannon here, and our guest, Krishna Pendiyala, failed at one thing that is the most tragic endeavor that a desperate and despondent soul can consider. At the same time, this failure was a game changer because it resulted in a moment of transformation that moved him into the light of a tipping point. It only magnifies this maxim. Ordinary people can go through extraordinary circumstances and survive and thrive. All this talk about apes and pigs, well, there's lots to get to with our next guest. Stay tuned to Living Two Days at a Time, up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. From the birthplace of modern recovery, Akron, Ohio, welcome to Rock and Recovery. Recovery Talks, the podcast. Dedicated to sharing stories and amplifying the voices of those on the front lines in the recovery movement. Our commitment to you? To always deliver straight up sober talk with the sincere promise of a safe, stigma, and judgment free zone. Recovery Talks, right now. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lee Shannon, and it is my distinct honor today to have Krishna Pendiyala. He is an author, a speaker, and advisor who helps executives, entrepreneurs, and their teams navigate and make better choices. For over three decades, he has inspired individuals and teams at Boeing, Carnegie Mellon, the Pittsburgh Steelers, UNESCO, and UBS, and many small businesses using his simple yet practical framework distilled from his very career experiences. His thought leadership is built on a long career of executive leadership, entrepreneurship, research, and product invention and development. Christian's transformational approach to personal and professional development has been featured on the New York Times, Huffington Post, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and Inc. Magazine, among others. He's the author of a critically acclaimed book, Beyond the Pig and Ape, Realizing Success and True Happiness, and I just finished it. It's fantastic. I've got so many dog ears, and I, I can't even begin. I don't know how we're going to get through this. Finally, born and raised in India, Krishna received his BS in civil engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology. After moving to the U.S. in 1984, he received his MS in education foundations and media technology from Indiana State University. He has attended executive management programs at both Carnegie Mellon and Harvard Universities. He's a graduate of the Landmark Education Curriculum for a living. He also digs playing golf, photography, and RVing. So that's awesome. And thank you so much for, for joining me on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for having me. So how do we get here? That's why I always ask myself when I'm doing these. How do I arrive at having you today? As our guest, I think some of it is is just allowing what is supposed to come through the front door to come through the front door in life. I know that I do a podcast on all things recovery. Our listeners know me for that. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I'm particularly endeared to you for the fact that you dedicated this book to your friend Hal, who also experienced some of the same things that I went through and had a transition, was able to turn his life forward after that. And that's very meaningful to me. We both have a background in a friend of ours who made our, a suggestion that we should know each other. You guys should talk to each other, which I'm in, in deep debt to her for that. Uh, but we would share also is that we have trauma in our background. And uh, I'll let you tell your story in the way you like to tell your story. But we've had conversations, telephone conversations, 
about focusing really on what happened as being significant and important, but not really the focus of what we want to talk about these days. I, as everybody knows, I'm, I'm a member of a 12-step program, and you know we often have uh, discussions, what I call the and then discussions, right? And that's where guys will say, well, and then this happened to me, and then this happened to me, and then I had trouble with the popo, and then I got a divorce, and then, and then, and then. And all of that is so significant and important for qualifying us from where we came from and who we are. But I think if we let it define ourselves and we say, it, I'm, a, I, this, I'm a victim of, and I don't like personally to use that language because it seems to make me go back and be almost highlighted, using that term again, by that experience in my life. And I just, I just don't, don't see myself that way. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about how you came to be here today to talk to me? Well, given that you don't want to end then story, I wanted to comment <laughs> a couple of things that you said, Mark. One was labeling. The moment you get labeled, you start to live up to your labels or live under your labels. So I am a big believer that I have a fifth lease on life. And I got to do something on it. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's an opportunity. And a good friend of mine always says, say yes to opportunity and not find reasons to get out of the situation. So uh, even when you ask me, would you join me on this podcast? It's basically, it's my people. Uh, I dedicated my book. Actually, I forgot about the connection between hell and recovery mm. because I know hell afterwards. Right. Right. So you made that connection. And as you mentioned it, I had goosebumps because that's yet another connection to Hal. Hal passed away some years ago and his wife Sharon is still my dear friend. And we have done two, what I refer to as Zoom side chats, one on being wise versus smart and the other one about the importance of relationships. And so I'll be happy to share that with you when you're, if you'd be interested. But coming back to my story, I think the other label you talked about was being a victim. I think the transition from victim to victor, or at least out of victim, is a pretty good one. And the way that happened to me is, when you can't even succeed in taking your own life, you really feel like an ultimate loser. <laughs> I can relate to you on that because that's also part of my history too. Today I can laugh about it, but at that time it's like, wow, you can't even do this. But it so happened that uh, on my final attempt, I did end up in a bad wreck and was paralyzed for six months and I was 18. So here I am supposedly at the pinnacle of youth in bed for six months. Talk about forced reflection, right? You are forced to reflect, period because of the phantom pains you are given a lot of painkillers and when you're wiped out you're done but when you're awake you have to i mean you have, you can do nothing so you're lying in bed thinking about things which was i think an amazing gift looking back and that's when it dawned on me maybe if you can't kill yourself or maybe you should learn how to live and that was the turning point because what i feel is we all have a lot of energy and where we point it to is where we make progress. So if you point your energy into digging a hole, you're going to dig a deep hole. Whereas if you start even building something small, 
but that's where you focus your energy over time you can really build some cool things it's really when you said that i, I kept thinking of that phrase and it was really popular a, a bunch of years ago is what you think about you bring about right and that comes to me a lot and when i'm sitting around and I, and I like to use this phrase quite a bit when i'm sitting around maybe feeling sorry for myself or things didn't go the way i expected them to or i'm holding on to you know pre previous ideas of how i wanted things to work out you know I, I like to use the word sitting around in my in my my poopy diaper you know what i mean and 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 at some point you need to change that you know what i mean so this story we're talking about is about awareness that's what i got from your book is the, is the sense of you know, the, the levels of awareness and being aware. And I'm, I must tell you that I, I really want to get into the book, but I, what I was doing when I was reading the book, and I know sometimes you don't get this experience from someone else reading your work or listening to your work, me as a musician. And, and it's often given to me. When I was reading your book, I kept thinking to myself, now, I'm doing that. I'm doing what he's saying. I'm thinking those ways. You know, we're all in the middle of, of a pandemic, which, you know, could be a gift once we get through it. You know, I'm sure it is for me. On some levels, it has been already for me. I've tried to reframe that. We'll put on some new glasses and see that, right? But I, I just kept thinking that, you know, there was a lot of things, especially when you were talking about, you know, the animals within. A little transition, if we can, go into what, you, what you're speaking of in the book when you talk about the pig, the ape, and the ego, I think our listeners would be really interested in that. And of course, we can't go into it as depth with the depth that your book does. And I highly suggest this book. And I'm I'm actually going to be using it as a gift going forward for the new year for one or at least one or two of my friends. So, but please explain to our our listeners how you came up with these. Where did those those ideas come from? You know, I'm always interested in that creative process. Being a creator myself, and a musician, and a writer, where do they come from? Was it in the middle of the night you woke up and you thought, you know, I, I need to write this down? How, do, how does it come to you? It's interesting that nobody has asked me that question yet. So I appreciate you, Mark, asking me to help me dig through the past. It all started with asking myself, why do I keep making these silly mistakes all the time? Right? Why do I do this? It's, it's repetitive, right? There's a pattern of behavior that we all engage in. And if you really look into it, it repeats over time. And so I said, wait a minute. So the first thing was about the need for immediate gratification. So being an engineer, I'm always trying to solve problems, right? And very analytical. So trying to use that anal analytics on the my own behavior, I said, wait, if I learn how to delay gratification, maybe all problems will get solved. But that sounds like a sermon. <laughs> Delay gratification. I mean, you, it's so easy to tell how difficult, it's very difficult to execute. So the whole thing, it started with dig, delay instant gratification. And then one day I was talking to a friend and I think she told me, why don't you make it pig? She added the ape, actually. So I changed it to pig because of the phrasing, don't pig out, don't be a pig. You want recall, right? You want people to remember they things need to be familiar and animals everybody likes. So pig became more of a stuck with me. And then I said, okay, so delaying instant gratification is a key skill. And if you do that, good things will come. But then I was talking to this friend and she said, well, it's not only delaying instant gratification, but it's also about avoiding painful experiences. And that's when it said, oh, pain, avoiding painful experiences is the ape. And interestingly, when I researched the behavior of these animals, they actually mimic the behavior that they represent. 
apes are very shy creatures. They don't, they're non-confrontational. Likewise, pigs gorge out. So the pig and the ape became very useful animals to tell the story, but because, you know, seeking pleasure, avoiding pain is psychology, and you heard, learned that in textbooks, but people remember stories and metaphors and animals and friendly images. So the third one was ego, which also many people referred to the monkey mind, but I didn't think we could handle an ape and a monkey in the same book. So I, I left that alone. Two primates in the same thing could cause some confusion. So I left it as the ego, more as a human element, that because it's more of a meta element and that we need to perceive between who we are and who we identify with and represent and want to present to the world. So that was the whole thing. And it's a little bit more elusive. So I don't know if you looked at the cover of the book. If you turn it aside, you will see two U's in it. I do. And the two U's is one is who you are and one who your ego. And as you mentioned the keyword awareness, as your awareness grows, you will see that separation very clearly. I really liked the example that you used when you were talking about your son and the moment that he had, well, he, he had an experience and he said, well, that's not really me thinking, that's my ego talking. And that was Im impactful to me. And what I liked, there was a line that I, and I'm, I'm a highlighter, I probably have said that six times already. I just like color. But the, the part of me that thinks it's me, that really, really separated myself and be able to, to put myself over here. And, and just a couple of experiences that I've had since I finished the book where I, I said to myself, oh, oh, that's this guy in here saying this about himself. And I like to use the words Mr. Fancy Pants, you know. And that's a joke for me because I spent so many years in the corporate world before returning back to becoming a musician and a writer. And I always tried to wear very nice suits because I always thought that's who I needed to be. And it was, it was a compensation for the things that I was insecure about. You know, I always felt that if I showed up looking really sharp, you know what I mean, and, and speaking very clearly, that people would maybe not know that I, that I hadn't had the degree of education that maybe they had, others had had on the officer group of the company that I belonged to. And so it was all these things that I was covering up as an ego when in fact, if I look back to those days, that the person I was was exactly the person that was the right person to be that person at that time. Exactly that person. And that's why I was successful in that role. I like the discussion in the book about awareness, the three levels of awareness. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, you know, being not aware, semi-aware, and aware as the big you, the big you. Please talk about that a bit. Happy to, Mark. See, so our knee-jerk reactions right? Since the book, I've done a lot more work and I'm going to share a little bit of that if you don't mind, because uh, the book came out in 2011 and it's now nine years later. And I do a, roughly about three workshops a month. So the interactions, the questions, that learning that comes out of being challenged and exploring more deeply into the constructs. When we start, the first time we are confronted with something, we are wired to react instinctively. That's for survival. And in fact, the pig and the ape are what kept us alive and brought us to this day from the jungle. That's the key. But hopefully we are not living in a jungle right now. And therefore, some of those instinctive reactions are inappropriate for today's world. That is the key. 
And you mentioned the ego, and I wanted to add something at that point. Another way, Mark, to separate yourself from the ego is really with this line that I keep reminding myself, I want to be happy, but my ego wants to be right. That's another nice way of separating the two. I want to be happy, but my ego wants to be right. That's in direct conflict many times, right? So when you keep reminding yourself with these kinds of statements, you can say, okay. And another thing that I tell myself is, I can never be offended. Only my ego can be offended. I think you alluded to that, which is what my son said uh, when he just didn't get thanked for something he did. Well, it's my ego that's offended. But then I took that and I said, I, the big you, can never be offended. Only your ego can be offended. So back to bookending. So your instinctual reaction is one of a snap judgment, needing to that survival. We are in our animal self, trying to say, okay, this is about survival. I need to make sure it's friend or foe, or get, get, you know running away or moving forward. That's the whole flight and freeze response. Those are always useful when you're in real danger. So it's not good or bad, it's all about context. And one of the key statements I make now is be extremely aware of the context because context colors your judgment. And so, yes, if you're in the jungle or if you've been chased by somebody or something that's going to hurt you, then you want your pagan ape to take over. You don't have time to process, analyze, and act. Then comes the intellect. That's the tricky one. So when you add intellect, which is at the level two, which you were referring to, level one is at the level of the instincts. Level two is you add intellect on top of instincts. And that's when it can get tricky because this is when the mind can play a number on you. And you get confused between who you are and what you're presenting to the world. And even in my workshops, I, when someone, you know, even you introduced me when we started this recording, by talking about all the cool things I've done. But that's not me. That's what I've done. And I constantly have to remind myself and others around me, who you are and what you do are two different things. Don't blend the two because that's when the confusion begins. Who you are and what you do. What you do is your vocation or your actions. Let them not define who you are. Keep them separate. Excuse me, when we talk about who we are, in what we do. You know, I like to really trace it back to, especially for the listeners of this show, a lot of people would like to listen to the show who have been through an experience and they found some light in the room, whatever analogy we want to make. And I like to talk to them about what it was like when they first started seeing the light in the tunnel. Those, I call it the first few miles. In recovery, for me, it was the first year. Right? There was a year of a complete first. Everything I had to do was done without drinking, without using and confronting some of the wreckage of the past of my substance abuse disorder. But really moving forward into the new life, maybe the, the big bang, after the big bang. So I guess the question I have for you was, what was life like for you after you had the big bang of change in your thinking? And you realized, okay, I, I can see that this is going somewhere and, and how, what were the first few miles like for you as you began your, your transition and change? I think our listeners are very interested in that early 
period of how you break away, break out of orbit from your previous thinking, previous habits. What was that like for you and what did you learn from that? Wow, that's an excellent question, Mark. Uh, if I recall, the key is the switch, right? I need to learn how to live, which means you're starting from scratch. And back to something you mentioned earlier about expectations, right? So you're learning from scratch. So to think you're going to nail it in a week is futile. In fact, it's a recipe for disaster. So you're starting on a new uncharted territory, which you really have no clue about. All that you know is everything you did in the past didn't work well for you. That's about all you know. And interestingly, a lot of that you'll keep relapsing because that's what you know. When the context shows up, the force that draws you to do what you did before is very, very strong. But because you have now been sensitized to this new approach, which is learning how to live, as opposed to learning how to end or thinking about exiting. So it's about exit versus experience. And I have to tell you, it's not fully gone because the idea of exiting is also kind of liberating, right? This is too painful or this is too much. So one is about exiting the situation. The other is about enduring the situation. That's a huge shift. One, you're mentally open to it, but you got to have the physical, uh, mental, emotional fortitude to endure it. So you got to learn how to build those muscles. So it's not just thinking. So it's almost like learning to walk all over again. And as I said it, I actually had to do it. I had to learn how to walk again. So learning how to walk is pretty much learning from scratch. In my program, we have a period where we call it uh, post-acute withdrawal, where the brain is really relearning everything it has to do. And I found myself being unable to think at times. I found myself being unable to remember. I tell the story often where I was working as an executive and I called an assistant and I had asked a question. She said to me, Mr. Shannon, are, are you aware you just called me 20 minutes ago to ask me that same question? And I hadn't been. I couldn't recall that. Mm -hmm. I would have a tremendous amount of anxiousness when I would get on conference calls that I would be called on, that I would be the one that would be have to speak and, and put language in play. And I had a lot of anxiety and anxiousness because my brain was learning to work again. And it it wasn't there yet. And I often tell people that are recovering from substance abuse disorder that fundamentally what you have to understand is, is you have a medical problem first that you have to be able to get well. And then you can get underneath the, what I call the manhole cover or the sewer cover or whatever and solve some of this emotional issues that you may have had that may have led you to those places before. There is a process in that first few miles that I think is very much different. So this is leading to a place where you know we're going to right now, I'm sure. So where are you now? And one of the things I wanted to, to almost interrupt you on before is as you go through your creative process and you've seen the work that you've done, you've created, I also relate to this. Do you look back on that and say, now that I've, I've got a greater sense of awareness, I wish I could go back and rewrite all that stuff and redo it again and, and, and maybe you know reform it and reshape it. Do you find sometimes that you, you want to go back to the stuff that you've written and say, oh, I want, I want to kind of redo that? Or how do you manage that? I'm talking creatively from where you are right now with your presentations and, and what you do. 
Interesting. I've not had that because it's been a journey and it's a capturing of that journey and not having to evaluate what I know now. Luckily, I've not had to contradict anything that I've written in the past. It has become more detailed or more refined or more examples, but really not had to. The thing that does come up is when I do read, find a book in my library, I have over six, 700 books, and I'll find a book that I bought 11 years ago, but never read it. Oh. Mm. And then I ask myself, why didn't I read this at that time? Because it was exactly, but again, the famous statement, which is the teacher will, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Maybe I would not have appreciated that book at that time. It makes perfect sense. And it actually fits 11 years back or 10 years back or 15 years back. I mean, honestly, I found the book, uh, The Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance uh, in my library given to me in 1985. And I read it this year. So again, and I know for a fact, there is no way I would have gone through that long book ever. Right, right, yeah. Thanks to COVID and being stuck at home, I did manage to finish it because I think it had about 33 or 34 chapters. It was the, one of the longest I've ever read. And that's the point is when I think things come together when it's the right time as well. I have a feeling that we could talk a lot more, and I'm, I'm hoping we will in the future. Again, I, I truly enjoyed your book. It's going to be something that's probably going to sit on my desk for a while. The shift. I know that that's a phrase you use a, a lot, you know, the becoming of awareness. I've heard other teachers talk about it. Paradigm shift was something Co- Covey did a lot. I read a lot of Dyer's The Shift. Now that you've had those experiences and you've been able to travel down this road, we've both arrived at where we are today, you know, what we're doing today. I would never have guessed that because of COVID, I would be doing a podcast. And so um, that is to me, Uh, something that I feel an an enormous sense of gratitude for. So when you have arrived where you are today, what are the things that you find are most present in your mind about where you are today? And and how would you describe that to our listeners today about what you've found so far in your journey? In other words, what's life like today for you? Life today is still the external events sometimes are even worse than what they were when I was in the hole, so to speak. Mm. It's really how you respond to them. Isn't it? It's about acceptance. I think you alluded to that. First step is acceptance, because if you can't accept it, you're always fighting it. And so first thing is accepting that whatever, you don't have to, as you said, go under the manhole cover first. Today, when I deal with uh, how to manage in a crisis, the first thing is to not be being overwhelmed. Because when you're overwhelmed, you can't really do a whole lot. Quietening down, settling down is step one. And that says, okay, let me accept these things happened. I don't need to know why. Acknowledge. And the one thing that I did not have a clue and still I work on is self-compassion. Ah. Right? Yes. That is the one thing that I think it will be an ongoing, never-ending journey for me. When we talked on the phone, we alluded to shame right? Erasing shame. And a lot of shame is what we don't talk about. Mm, Yes. And if you really think about the energy levels in kinesiology, shame is at the lowest level of zero. Then comes guilt, then comes fear. And we usually deal with fear. But 
we don't really talk about shame because shame is something we avoid. Right. Shame comes up so much in my discussions with people that have been through trauma. So much. Yeah. So shame, overcoming shame, I think starts with self-compassion. Things happen for reasons we and we may not be privy to, but they happened. So be compassionate. Therefore, and I re distinctly remember when I started working with veterans, one of them who said, we are just regular people who have been through some extraordinary circumstances and we're just behaving accordingly. I thought that was just ultra powerful and made an indelible mark in my life, which is we are just regular people or ordinary people who have been through some extraordinary circumstances and we are just behaving accordingly. So I do want to leave your listeners with one thing, Mark, if you'll allow me, given that the recovery programs, and you brought this up uh, in your email, which you just sent me. I forgot the incredible connection between one day at a time and my approach to life, which is living two days at a time. And again, that is being an engineer. I found a loophole in one day at a time because I always deal with people who argue with me and pick holes. So I got to be on my top of my game. So one of the comments I'd heard maybe a long time ago is if you live only one day at a time, that means you can blow it out today because there's no tomorrow. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. So that's when I wanted to close that loophole by saying, okay, live two days at a time, which means you can do whatever you want to do today as long as it doesn't jeopardize or screw up your tomorrow. And life is just a series of todays and tomorrows. So two days at a time is a pretty uh, interesting concept that I think uh, you are pretty attracted to it in your email. It's going to change the way I think about that when I hear that phrase, which is very, very common in my community. So one last question I'd like to ask our guests is that, uh, let's imagine for a moment, let's put our creative thinking hat on and maybe our imaginary hat on. And if we could get into a time travel Uber and go back to see those people that we used to be when we were in the midst of our difficulties. And let's say that our new person, this is an imaginary scene, of course, could go up to that old person. And what would you say? I know what I would say to myself, and that would be to just steady on. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I have a picture of myself when I was very young, and I keep that picture because I can see in the eyes of that young child the difficulties he was going through. And oftentimes I'll, I'll just look at him and I'll say, you know what I mean? I got you. You're going to be all right. Now, if you could get in the time travel Uber, what would you say to the younger? The one thing that comes to me is, again, I think back to self-compassion. It's not your fault. It's not your fault because I think deep inside, I felt it was my fault, right? And uh, it, you are not lovable. Uh, you are lovable. It's just that don't try to program yourself that you're not lovable because if you do that, then that goes completely against self-compassion. Absolutely took everything upon myself. I was the response. I was the reason my parents got divorced. I was the reason everything had failed. I was the reason people were unhappy. If I could do something, I could fix it. Maybe if I behaved differently, uh, maybe if I stayed away, I, I can absolutely as a 10-year-old child going through some of the things that I went through as, as a young child, I absolutely felt that there's somehow I had caused them, you know, and I was responsible for it, which is... You know, it took me many, many years and still probably working some of that stuff out as we all are human beings. But, 
But I, I just want to thank you for the things that you do, not just for me here, but for also the goodness that you put out into the universe and through your work. And I'm always so grateful to come into contact with people that do that and that send out their energy, their karma, so to speak, into others that really uplift and bring the lanterns and the lighthouses into the world. Because more than anything, if you've lived or had to live in the dark room of substance abuse disorder, like some of the people I come into contact with, you get a different sense for the meaningfulness of the people that turn on the light. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you very much, Mark. So fantastic to have you as my guest. I hope that we will do this again. I hope we can. Thank you to all our listeners for hanging with us for this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. Please stay tuned for more episodes with more guests as they share their journey from the darkness to light. And until then, everybody stay standing and steady on. Recovery rocks. I get calls all the time from people. What could I do? Would you talk to my daughter? I mean, she's 18 years old. She's beautiful. She's valedictorian. Well, you know what? She's chewing oxy. She's going to have a rough road. You know, we got to attack this. Eric Ungaro is the president of Solace of the Valley, working to remove the stigma of addiction in the Mahoning Valley. He talks to families and friends about the faith and fortitude needed to support addicted loved ones. I tell every family that I talk to, no matter what you do, don't ever give up. Don't look at the statistics or the pie graph because they're depressing. You just pray. You try to do everything you can to find that one little niche that's going to save that person. And don't ever downplay this or that or God or 12 steps or whatever you got to do to do, do it. Just don't give up. Hear the full interview and learn more at rockandrecovery.com. This has been a Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks. Raising awareness, removing stigma, and offering hope. Hi, I'm Garrett Hart for Rock and Recovery. It's the nightly radio show that offers upbeat rock songs and inspirational messages for people in recovery from addiction, trauma, and mental health disruptions. It's for families and friends as well. Rock and Recovery is broadcast every night, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern at 91.3 FM in Akron, Ohio, and at 90.7 FM in Youngstown, Ohio. The show can be heard at thesummit.fm. You can also listen to Rock and Recovery on our 24-7 radio channel streaming at rockandrecovery.com. We've got a free app for your phone so you can listen anytime, anywhere. Everyone needs a little R&R. Rock and Recovery. Recovery rocks.